Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Today, I am so glad to have Kathy Madsen, the certified behavior consultant and professional dog trainer from Preventivet. She was one of our guests in December 2019 and ironically talked about how to leave your dog alone. But we didn't know that we'd really need that training now in 2021. So I invited her back to talk about leaving your pet alone, plus how to address things that your pet might be doing now because you've been home. We also cover Major Biden. Let's hear what Kathy has to say. Kathy, thank you for coming back and talking again about how to leave your dog alone. Of course, it's great to be back and talk to you again. (laughs) We have such fun. Before this went live, I have to tell you that we were having such a good time talking about so many things, um, (laughs) which we will probably get to during this half hour. But before... We do anything else, of course, Kathy. I'm going to ask you the question I always ask, but with a little bit of a caveat. So why do pets matter to you now that we have survived COVID? And I know there's a new man in your life. <laughs> yes, I. this last year has been tough. Um, and I brought home a new puppy named Fozzie Bear um, in August of 2020. So in the middle of COVID, in the middle of working from home, joining our family, Um, And I think it's given me a project during COVID that's out. I don't want to say outside of my work life. It's definitely still my work life um, since everything revolves around dogs in my life. But it's given me something different. It's given me new problems to work through. And and I think that's been really good for my mental health, Um, even though there's been times that it's been really frustrating uh, he's a teenager now. He's almost 11 months old and and he's acting like it. <laughs> but it's been really nice to have have him um, kind of just add some newness to our day to day routine that by August of last year, we'd been working from home and stuck inside. Our eight year old was, you know, virtual school for since March of last year. And so it was it was hard and it was dragging on. So having him around just kind of brought some joy. Um, along with the puppy frustrations, but, but I think it's really important that, that people have had their pets and so many people have been adopting and bringing home new puppies um, and new dogs during the pandemic. I know here in the Seattle area, the shelters are basically empty um, and trainers are getting a lot of calls about how to deal with things. And, but I think it's kind of given people uh, another thing to keep their mind on 
and off of the scary things going on, you know, with the pandemic and all the other social issues that just, you know, stack on top of each other and stress us out, our dogs and our cats and all of our pets give us that outlet um, and kind of de-stress us. Yeah, those endorphins we get when we pet them. And, and I think that given what you said, so many people did adopt a pet, sometimes first-time pet owners left alone at home with this pet without the ability like you had done in 2019 to either um, have them into a class or go to their home and provide them with uh, training the first out of the box. You might not have been able to go, but I think now, and I believe it's true that dog trainers are part of, you know, first responders because people need help with their puppies. If not um, literal first responders, they are figurative first responders because they have to help the people who've adopted dogs who we both know um, feel a little overwhelmed now, especially if it's their first dog. Yeah. And, and there are some, some studies, studies, or, you know, surveys (laughs) that have come out that, that look at the pet adoption remorse numbers and they are really high, um, which doesn't surprise me. Bringing home a new dog is, is a lot of work. It's a lot more than we expect um, or what we think we're prepared for. Even if we've done research before, I think the day I went to go pick up Fozzie Bear, I had to drive about two hours uh, to his breeder to pick him up. And on the way, I'm, I'm sitting in the parking lot of McDonald's and I took a video and I was talking for my clients, basically saying, I am so stressed out and I feel so overwhelmed because I know that I will have forgotten something, you know, and, and now I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I didn't buy the right kind of leash. I don't have the leash I want. Or do I have another water bowl? All of these things that just overwhelmed me. And I'm a professional, right? So I right. should know all of these things. So I can't imagine how stressful it is for a brand new dog owner who's first time dog owner, just feeling overwhelmed with all the expectations, especially of what having a dog should be like. Um, And that's something I've talked a lot with clients uh, through the pandemic about of let go of the expectations you feel from outside, from even, even from your dog trainer, right? And from your family members and, and just let's go back to the basics and, and don't get stressed out of what you think your dog should be. You know, you, your dog is your dog and they are who they are and we can work with that. But what matters is your relationship, right? And, and don't expect them to have a perfect heel right away. You know, it takes work or if they're starting to show separation anxiety, let's look at what's causing it so that you can sympathize with your dog and then work from there so that you're not getting so frustrated so fast, because that's just, that just is a setup for failure for everybody, right? The more frustrated, frustrated we are, the less we want to work on something we kind of want to just give up. Oh, Um, I know. And frustration comes easily now because we really think we should know here we are home alone. We should know what to do. And I think when we were talking before, it's, it's not always intuitive how the dog is going to react to any sort of stimuli. Right. Right. And then the transition period, like you bring home a new dog in the first few days, we go by the rule of thumb of three days, three weeks, three months for an adjustment period. And the first three days, a lot of times dogs are just kind of in shock because they're like, I don't know, everything changed. And and puppies are pretty fast through this adjustment period because they don't have a lot of learning history. Printing on their brain. Right. Exactly. So they're kind of like, cool. Okay. Um, But especially for adopted dogs, being rehomed, coming from a stressful environment in many cases, if they were in a shelter um, or even just coming from a different foster home, 
that big change puts them into a state of shock. So you don't see a lot of crazy behavior. They're a little bit more subdued or alternatively, they can almost be overreacting to everything because that's how they're dealing with the stress and the shock of change. But then, you know, within three weeks, you're starting to see those dogs settle in and start to understand, okay, this is where I live now. I'm starting to understand this routine. I'm starting to build this relationship. And I know, I know what the expectations are for the day. And then, you know, three months or so in, that's when we really see a dog who knows this is my home. Right. And so that's either when you see them drop in unwanted behaviors because their needs are being met, if we're meeting their needs and being right, consistent. Right. They're feeling pretty or, comfy. Yeah. They feel comfy. Or you see them start to really show, like, oh, I'm an adolescent intact male dog. And now I'm going to start acting like one because right. I feel really comfortable. <laughs> so no, it's, it's those comfies. I have to yeah. tell you when I give people puppies, so I don't let them go till they're like 12 weeks old. So when I, when I get my pup, when they get the puppy, they're pretty much housebroken because we work really hard on that. Um, and I tell them, I love the three, 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 because I usually say, you know, you have probably about, it'll be three days where they're nice and quiet. And then three weeks where they're just magnificent. They don't jump. They remind you to go out, to go to the bathroom. They do all those things. And then once they feel I've got them hook, line and sinker. They're not returning me no matter what, because of course they're little babies, they've never been returned. I think that's the difference between taking in a dog who's a year or two old who has been returned. Um, and I wanna to talk to you about that because uh, it is, in my, in my opinion, if you adopt a dog who's been placed in a shelter after living with a family, um, my feeling is they either go off the rails or more likely they are so grateful you took them out of that environment that they will be the best dog ever, ever in the world. And I don't know if you've seen that, but I've seen that over and over again, where we've rehomed Irish setters whose owners died or whose owners couldn't take care of them. And first of all, they were shell-shocked that they weren't in their home anymore. But then when they went to a sort of kind of nice place, they were so keen on making sure this worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends on the dog. It depends on their history, depends on their temperament, their genetics, but but more than anything, it, it, excuse my word. There he is. There's Fozzie. They're playing on the bed right now. Um, I think it depends a lot on on our expectations of dogs. Hey, guys. What are you doing? Thank you. I think it depends on our expectations and then our knowledge of their history, too. Because I think with, with families who bring home dogs who are adult dogs, um, and they adopt them and they don't know the history, it can be hard to then realize, it can be hard to then realize that that dog has a fear or reactivity issue and I can work on that versus what did I get myself into? This is too much, right? And then basically saying, I don't think this is for us and consider rehoming or returning the dog to the shelter. Um, and then also compared to puppies, puppies are adorable. So we want to take care of them and, and we bond with them. And we always, with okay. Fozzie Bear, especially whenever he's being a, a little jerk, <laughs> I'm always like, remember when you were tiny and a little potato that made this all worth it. Yeah. So 
So I think it's hard when we don't have that puppyhood to bond with the dog, but it doesn't make it any less rewarding when we do bring home an adult dog and see the behavioral change and help them feel better about things. That's just as rewarding as raising a puppy from eight weeks or 12 weeks old. He's having so much fun. So there are so many books out now, Kathy, um, about pandemic puppies by our friend Marty Greer and other uh, training books that you can get. And I'd be curious for your take on it. It's great. It's great. You brought this up because I'm thinking, okay, so you've decided to adopt an older dog. What kind of mindset should you enter that um, opportunity with? Because it is an opportunity. If you look at it that, that way, um, it could be a trial and tribulation. If you look at it that way, I mean, I have to fix this dog. I have to do this. I have to change my life. Um, there are certain dogs who really, you do have to change your life because they don't like to be alone or they, you know, you have to work it out. What's your thought about if you read a book on how to train a dog, how likely is the dog you get to fit into that mold? <laughs> um, that's a tough question because yep. I work with a lot of people who are like, this is what I thought owning a dog would be or adopting a dog would be like. And it's nothing like that. And I was like, welcome to the club, you yeah. know. But it's like the unicorn that you're like, I got the perfect dog who just fit right in. Um, but honestly, I think the people who get those unicorn dogs are the ones who were so open-minded to begin with. Yep. I'm so glad ask. you said that. Yep. It's the mindset. It's the mindset. So it's kind of like, you know what? Be, be ready to accept your dog for who they are and then work on building your relationship. And from that relationship building and building our confidence and, and all of that, that bond, then you get a better dog because the quality of life is better. Your communication is really clear. And that makes training and behavior modification so much easier. When you understand how your dog is feeling by reading their body language and you're able to tell them, yes, that works for you. No, not that so much, right? And then you're able to manage their environment to help them feel safe. And then you get a better behaved dog all around, right? So, so it's really important to keep that open mindset and not expect a unicorn dog <laughs> right off the bat. Absolutely. Um, because every dog could be a unicorn dog for someone. Um, if we just have that mindset to begin with. I'm going to grab Fozzie really quick. Hey, you. He is antagonizing Sookie, wanting to play bitey face. And Sookie's not having any of it. It's like when Junie was young and he wanted to do that with Roxy and and she had um, two answers for him, no and never. Yeah. That, and so he's just like, seriously, though, like, still yeah. not into Go it. Go away. So I'd love to ask you a question. So, of course, the news is carrying all the information about poor Major Biden, mm -hmm. um, who is who is biting, um, not breaking skin. They make sure they say that. <clears throat> but he's definitely, excuse me, um, don't touch me or don't be in my space. Right or whatever it is that's creating that um, anxiety or anxiousness for him. What do you think would be, I mean, they were talking about bringing Cesar Milan on and I love um, uh, Lucky Dog, Brandon McMillan's way of training. Tell me what you would do if you were asked to come in. <laughs> it's interesting. I was actually just listening to an amazing uh, dog trainer and behavior consultant, Michael Shikashio, who specializes in aggression and he's been, um, appearing on some news uh, cycles about major Biden, Biden incidents. Um, and I, I love how he 
looks at it and it's the same way I would approach it um, where we're looking at one, let's help major feel better about this big change. So there is that acclimation period happening again. Yep. And it's also a completely different environment than he might've been used to in Delaware, way busier, right? Different people all day long, hundreds of staffers, never the same, right? So there's a lot for a dog to, to deal with there. And then also taking into account his breed. Um, I believe he's a German shepherd. I don't know if he's mixed, but yeah, I think he's pretty much a German shepherd he, yeah. by, by visual. I mean, I guess if we yeah, took exactly. a, we would find if anybody else was in there, but by yeah. visual, he looks very much like a black um, German yeah. shepherd. And so there's those predispositions that we see in certain breeds that we bred for, we selected for maybe more protectiveness, maybe more being aware visually of what's going on, like shepherds. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so we're, we're really going up against a lot of things mentally for him that are tough to acclimate to. So really managing the environment is the first one. one for everyone's safety. Safety is the number one thing I look at is let's prevent this from happening in the future. Um, and so muzzle training. Awesome. I love muzzle training, not just for aggressive they have decorator muzzles. Now they could have like the first dog muzzle or something. <laughs> It'd be awesome. And I think it also would help diminish this stereotype we have of muzzled dogs. Um, because people use muzzles for things beyond aggression. They use it for dogs with, uh, that just pick up everything on the walk. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I mean, it's a, it's, it should be something fun to use. It shouldn't be something you yeah. put on that the dog is now apprehensive. Oh, why is yeah. this? If you give them a treat and put the muzzle on and give them a treat and put the muzzle on, then they're like, wait, let me put that on myself. Yeah, the Muzzle Up Project is one of my favorite resources for people looking into muzzle training. I worked muzzle training into my puppy group classes because I wanted the puppies to feel like, oh, muzzles are awesome. They predict peanut butter, yeah. you know? And so then if they ever needed them at the vet, if they got injured, they're going to muzzle your dog because they know that a dog in pain is more likely to bite. Yeah. And so they'll throw a muzzle on and I don't want that to add another layer of stress on a dog in pain. And so if they've gotten used to a muzzle, they're like, oh, I remember this thing. This and is the peanut actually... butter treat thing. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like so the Kong like for my face. <laughs> yes. So, so implementing management for, for major Biden is a big part of it. Um, making sure that he probably has multiple handlers, but making sure that the handlers are advocating. I think for that's him. the piece that really is throwing him for a loop because probably when he was in Delaware, he was walked by Joe or he was walked by Jill. And yeah. now because of their schedules, which have quadrupled, um, <laughs> he's walked by somebody else. And he may be like, well, I like Kathy, but I'm not so sure I like her as much as I like my mom. Well, and then the consistency might be off. And so, yep. so sometimes they are doing a really good job of managing his space and helping introduce him to new people in a safe and correct way to set him up for success in greeting them. And then also managing the people, kind of teaching people what to do, what not to do <laughs> with, a, with a dog they don't know. Yeah. And so that consistency is really important that everyone's on the same page and staying on a behavior modification plan, which hopefully, I hope that they turn to a trainer that isn't relying on any aversive use or corrective measures when he does exhibit those kinds of reactions to strangers, because right. all that can do for a dog is teach them. Yes, there is a reason to worry about that thing. Cause, Oh, I show I'm a little scared. Maybe I growl or maybe I, I and then the person overreacts. Right. And then they yank on that collar or they correct him in some way. 
and he might stop, but that doesn't. But it's put in the file. Yeah. And he remembers, oh, that person approaching predicts something unpleasant or painful for me. And so next time I might not even show you that growl or the hackles going up or any kind of signal that I'm uncomfortable or on edge, I'll go straight to the nip. Yep. Right? And so we can punish yep. out really important warning signals and increase that fear aggression in a dog. Um, and so I, I hope that they're one working on the management and then, then they're starting to work on, hey, people actually predict awesome things for you. Right. Have and everybody then, have that peanut butter with them. Yeah. And I'm yeah. going to make sure that if you're starting to get uncomfortable, we add some space and maybe just give you a break in the residence. Right. So management, counter conditioning, desensitization, yeah. making sure that he's getting that positive reinforcement for doing the right thing and making those those associations that people are awesome, even if I don't know them or even if I never learned to love them. I don't need to react. Right, I'll tolerate them because I know that they bring good tidings and bring good treats. Yeah, and that they respect my space because my person, my handler, they've got my back, right? So it's some work and it can take time. Every dog's different. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, he's only, he hasn't even been in there a hundred days and he wasn't there at the beginning. He came later. Um, And I- Back home and then came back. So this is very confusing to him and- um, Champ, of course, was there yeah. for the Obama administration. So this was like, oh, this is no big deal. I was here already. I know what the drill is. And obviously they're not speaking the same language because, you know, Champ isn't telling Major um, that there's this is okay, whether he could or not, right? I mean, he may be looking at Major going, oh my God, young kids, they just have no manners. Um, we don't know, right? Uh, Champ is like, oh shit. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, <clears throat> go ahead. I'm sorry. I think too, it can be helpful when you have a dog who is calm and and quote unquote bomb proof in those situations. But if a dog, and we don't know about Major's history prior to being right, that's what I was going to say. You brought that up. Good. So for, for champ, it's probably familiarity. I'm used to this. I'm old, so I don't even really care anymore. I don't care. They have good (laughs) treats. He probably has good treats. Yeah. And for major, it's a lot more going on in his brain. And I think sometimes we forget about the chemical changes in the brain affect behavior. Right. And he's and a young so, dog. And, and I don't know if he's altered or not, but he's a young dog. And they really didn't have him a long time before to have him settle in Delaware. And then he, they uproot him and move him to D.C., which is, you know, we all have to move when we have to move. I mean, there's training for that. Right. But but this would also exacerbate any insecurities he might have. It could. Yeah. And it's that acclimation period, too. You know, sometimes it's just you're on edge until you get more familiar. But yeah, management, providing him a lot of enrichment and things to really focus his energy and de-stress. Um, I always talk about the calming trifecta when I work with clients on enrichment where licking, sniffing and chewing. Right. Those activities for dogs are naturally calming. They're bringing down stress hormone levels in the brain. Um, and it's that repetitive action in licking and chewing that's kind of helping self-soothe. Yeah. And then sniffing. I mean, so much of their brain is dedicated to smell. Right. And the nose is so much better than ours, you know. So, so that kind of exploration and enrichment really helps settle, settle the brain. Like with Fozzie Bear on his walks, um, he's not fear reactive to the dogs. He's just overreactive because he's young and he's excited and he wants to go say hi. So we've been working a lot on, yes, there's a dog over there, but I use find it. 
where I scatter a little bit of his kibble and a few high value treats in the grass or on, on the sidewalk, wherever we might be. And it's so nice to see his arousal levels change so quickly just based on sniffing. And so then he kind of is like, oh, right, find it. And he's sniffing and then he looks at the dog. He's like, okay, cool. And so you see that kind of just settling in the brain and then you see it in their behavior where you're like, yes, that's what I want, right? I'm going to actually go meet the dog, but not yet until you're calm. So. I am going to have to try that. Remember, before we came on, everyone, um, Kathy and I talked about the change in temperament of dogs that have been great dogs in your life forever. And because of COVID and because of how we changed, how we react to people, um, some of our dogs, my 10-year-old Irish setter in particular, has changed the way she reacts. And, you know, it, Kathy had spoken about a few things that I'm going to let her share here with us. But that throwing of food, I mean, Roxy is such a chow hound. That might be a great way for me to distract her from eating the dogs we walk by. Yeah, and, that, and that's a good point. It's a distraction technique, right? So there is a little bit of counter conditioning that could be going on but it's not a full behavior modification plan, just using scatter feeding. But I love that tool because if a dog suddenly walks around the corner and I have either my you know, overexcited teen, or if I'm working with a fear reactive dog who is gonna start barking and lunging because they're like, that thing needs to go away. It is an easy way to refocus them on something else to maybe get them to take a breath and then I have a chance to start implementing the actual counter conditioning protocol, right? which is a little different because that you want them to notice that the thing is there that might freak them out mm -hmm. and be rewarded. So they're learning that the presence of that thing means good things happen to me. Yeah. Right? That's, that's classical conditioning where they don't really have to be doing anything other than existing in the same space. Um, and so that's, it's, it's basically their brain going, okay, bikes, awesome. Cars, awesome. Not something to be scared of. And then you have operant conditioning, which is another technique you kind of work into counter conditioning where you look at that, say other dog and don't bark. Yes, here's a treat. So you're making the treat happen by doing a behavior other than barking, barking. and reacting. Right. Because yeah. your, your natural tendency is to pull them close and yeah. yell at them. I mean, right. that's my natural tendency. I'll fess up to the fact well, that I'm one hundred bad mother. Um, <laughs> but my, you know, and to, and to say shame on you, you're naughty, you know. And, and so she's like, uh, um, actually, she looks at me as much as to say, um, you're a stupid woman. And this you should be worried about that thing, mom. You should be worried about this thing. And, and I'm just going to keep you safe. And yeah. I think... We had talked about this before, um, and as we wrap up, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, how people are going to leave their dogs alone, and how are people going to adjust their lives with their dogs now that the dogs have been with them 24-7, um, that like me, they wanted to keep their dogs away from other dogs, so now their dogs are dog reactive, which they never were, um, and how do you how do you do all this? I love those, those you know, there's conditioning and there's... Um, uh, retraining and, and, and reprogramming. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot <laughs> and it's, and it feels overwhelming to think about. And, and it's something I, I was telling you earlier with Fozzie bear, he doesn't do great with alone time right now um, because I fell off a little bit in the training for it um, and maintaining it. Because you needed him too. So that's the other trade-off, you know, we don't want to yeah. leave them because we need them too. 
I literally had separation anxiety from my dog and stress when he needed a bath and I was trying out a new groomer and I dropped him off and I, I couldn't even walk the two blocks home. I basically just circled the block for two hours because I was like, is he okay? How's he doing? Is, does yeah. he need more treats? What's going on? Like it was this moment of just stress because it was new and I was worried of how he'd do and the expectations of, wow, I hope I trained him well for being handled and he was fine. But yeah, we have that as well. You know, you, uh, you're, you're a trainer and you better have a well-trained dog. Well, you know, we all have dogs that can be naughty at any given moment. Anytime. Denise Fenzi is one of my favorite trainers that is so down to earth and makes me feel better about myself as a trainer because, and she's working with a high drive dog, um, a Belgian. Oh and, yeah. yeah well, that's, in, that's sort of like, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, major. Cause yeah. Stimulation. They're bred <clears throat> to be that way. And, and she does bite sports and, and, uh, competition. She's amazing. But seeing her post as she was raising him from a puppy, I was like, Oh, thank God that your hands are all chewed up. <laughs> like just like mine, because otherwise I would feel like I'm failing. And yeah, and almost as a professional, so many of us deal with that imposter syndrome. Yep. But it's true for regular pet dog owners too. You know, they have those expectations and they feel like they're failing all the time when really the fact that you're living with another species and taking care of them and building a relationship, that in itself is amazing. You know, so if you just take it down a notch and work yep. on, you know, little bite-sized pieces that you can do. So with like leaving dogs alone, one, start to build up to it. So start to think about what your routine will be and then make small adjustments, you know, over time. So incremental changes in your routine to kind of build your dog into what the new routine will be. Practicing alone time, um, start really small, right? Make sure that they, if they are crate trained, awesome make sure that their crate stays is somewhere really secure and safe and comforting for them that they enjoy spending time in there. If they aren't crate trained, that's okay. Consider crate training or even pen training um, or just making sure your house is really dog proofed. <laughs> yeah, otherwise you lose a lot of sheetrock and molding or shoes. Yes. Yeah. And especially if they start to exhibit anxiety symptoms, we usually see destructive chewing is a big one. Yeah. Um, or escapism where they are trying to actually get out. And so they'll scratch through walls or chew at doors. And so confinement can be really helpful. In some cases, it can actually stress them out more. So it is case by case. So it's all oh, yeah. looking at your dog and, and making a plan, adjusting them to the new routine. And for alone time, really short, like five seconds at first. And even for some dogs who like Fozzie, I call him a, a Velcro dog because it's like you can't go to the bathroom without him going, I'm coming with. Um, even just closing the door to another room and then immediately opening it. And I'm otherwise ignoring him. I'm trying to teach him this is neutral, right? You can hang out by yourself. It's okay. But I'm not pushing you so far that you start to freak out because that will stick with you. Yeah. Right. And that makes it even harder to change your mindset about it. But then there's the, that's more desensitization of just doing the little pre-departure things that you would normally be doing. Nothing is happening to the dog. You're just helping them learn. Okay. These are things that happen all the time, right? No big deal. Um, counter conditioning for that is teaching them when I leave something great happens to you. Right. Um, Those and then Kongs. Exactly. I love Kongs. I also love topples lately are awesome. Um, they have, they're by Westpaw right. and they have larger openings on top. And so for puppies or dogs who don't really understand puzzles very well, 
<laughs> it's easier. And so they don't get frustrated and give up um, as fast. I'm going to get that information and put it in the notes because this is really great stuff because I know, first of all, I loved um, your vulnerability in saying, you know, here I am a professional trainer and my dog isn't doing what I want them to do. And you have the imposter syndrome, you know, people, if they've had a dog before, they think they should know this, which of course I've forgotten more about what I used to know than Carter has little liver pills. And, and when people say, well, you, why don't you do this? And I go, Oh shit, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, I remember that technique. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. wow, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes yeah. we're too close to it to, to take a step back and, and look at it from a trainer's perspective, right? Or a long-term dog owner's perspective, because it's a new dog. So we just, you know. Yeah, and they're new. And you know, people say to me, Well, you know, it's the same kind of dog I had last time. I said, No, it isn't. It's a totally different dog. It, you know, you'll never get spot back. Now you have Fluffy. Fluffy is the same breed, but believe me, the brain stem is totally different. They might have the same outward look, uh, but they don't have the same experiences, the same um, distractions, the same, you know, the same printing. It's, you know, their DNA might be the same, but in their brain, their DNA is totally different. Um, I actually have a an owner who had one of my dogs and I selected that puppy out of the litter because she was the quiet puppy and she turned out to be the perfect puppy that beautiful perfect puppy right and she just got a new one because unfortunately mary passed away and um she said this dog is a nightmare <laughs> and i said well first of all it was a puppy that was the last puppy in the litter um it was a friend of yours litter it's a, no problem with that but it, it you didn't know what it was like and it wasn't selected for you based on your needs. You know, right. I try to do that to everyone. When people come to get my puppies, um, I talk to them for 12 weeks. And at the end of the 12 weeks, I say, this is your puppy. They go, no, I want to pick my own puppy. I said, yeah, no. And you don't, you don't know the puppies like, you know, so I always wonder too, cause my breeder is awesome. And she, she picked out the puppies based on who was, was on right. the list. Sometimes you get two to choose from, but most of the time we say, no, this is the one you really want. Well, I, but sometimes I think I go, but why did you pick this puppy for me? <laughs> like, what were yeah, you Especially doing? when they're being naughty, right? Because they figure, okay, you're going to be able to fix this. This exactly. is the one who got out of the box first. And <laughs> Laura Reeves and I were talking the other day um, and she, her podcast uh, just dropped, I think a week or two ago. And she said, you know, uh, you make plans and God laughs. You know, here you are, you, you breed a litter, you have a litter of puppies, you have puppies for people. And then you say, oh, this is going to be the really nice one. And then all of a sudden, you know, the devil comes, stands on the dog the puppy's shoulder and it becomes Cujo and you're like oh, how did that happen uh, but I love what you said because you have to be kind to yourself so here you are going back to work you're leaving your dog alone you're going to make mistakes the dog's going to make mistakes be kind to the dog that's number one right we all say that be kind to the dog because they're trying to read what you want them to do and it's different than what you've been saying for the past year so give yeah. them a break um, and be kind to yourself that you don't know what you don't know yeah and look for support, yep, you know, absolutely to the community that this is what trainers and consultants are here for. Um, I always and Preventivet has great um, videos on all of this that people can yeah. avail themselves to. Yeah. And, and we've also just launched Pup Standing Academy. Um, so pupstandingacademy.com and, and we've, we're building workshops um, that are affordable and virtual. So you can start them anytime from anywhere, um, especially with COVID. It can be hard to find a trainer or consultant to come in home. Right. Hopefully that's changing soon. Hopefully. Um, but Even though they are first responders in this situation. <laughs> I wish, I wish I'd been on that <laughs> list for a vaccine, but yeah. But, 
being able to connect with someone virtually even. And so our workshops, we have six right now, all topic focused. So crate training, potty training, uh, barking is one. Um, socialization is one of my favorite workshops to teach because learning how to socialize a puppy and how to do it safely before all the vaccines are done is easier than people think. Um, and so important for better behavior. And then dealing with things like, oh, my routine changed and I'm alone more. Well, we worked on this in socialization, you know? And, and so those kinds of workshops, we just launched one for jumping and counter surfing. Um, those include a live session with me um, as part of the workshop. And so that way you can really get personalized attention and the support that you need. And then veterinarians as well, they are there to help you. Um, and COVID has been really hard on them with curbside service and just dealing with all of the things where the, the owners can't be in the clinic with the, the dogs and their pets. And, and it's really hard, but creating those relationships with owners who are looking for the best for their dog and reaching out for the support, that's also really good for, for the vets as well yeah. and their staff. So, so really take advantage of the support systems that are there. They can help answer the questions. They can help you determine what to do next and make it easier and kind of just really lessen the frustration that that is part of owning a dog, yeah. <laughs> you know, but you no, know, it's, it's the most wonderful experience. I always tell people, you know, you, you'd never give up the experience of taking the adventure with these dogs, but it is an adventure every day because as they go out of puppyhood into, you know, adolescence into adulthood and then into mature older dog, everything is different and changes and your life has to change. And you, you really need to understand that the commitment is like shifting sand. Yeah. I always think of the quote, I think it's a German quote and I don't know who said it, but it's four years, a young dog, four years, a, a good dog, four years, an old dog. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, it can be a long time where you're, you're frustrated dealing with a young dog with all these young dog behaviors. But when they're a senior, you'll look back in that, at that and think, oh, that was great. Right. And, oh, I went through all this with you and, oh, like all of these stages of life have things that like little gold nuggets that yep. we just keep with us as memories. And at the end of it, I, like my last dog was a terror and I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, it's why I became a trainer. Um, and so yeah, she was given to you for a reason. Yeah. And, and so that it's important to realize it's a learning experience and that's what makes sharing your life with a dog so fun. Yeah. And even though it's frustrating, sometimes it's worth it. You know, so. Kathy, I can't believe our, our half hour is gone because it goes too fast. I'd love to have you back because I think that what we're talking about is really going to help people um, either keep their dogs or I'm a big proponent of if it is too much and you can't take care of your dog. I don't want you leaving it in a crate all day. I don't want you to tie it outside all day. I want you um, to really understand that this might not be. And, I, and I'd love to talk about how you have that conversation. This might yeah. not be a good decision for you. And what do you do next? I mean, if you buy it yeah. from a breeder, you would give it back to the breeder because that's what breeders do. Good breeders. Um, okay. If not, then what do you do? So I'd love to have you back to talk about what happens when it doesn't work out right um, because yeah. I know that you've had a number of situations where you did your best the owners did their best but really this dog for this couple or this family was not a good choice even though they did their homework and they thought they got the right dog it might not be so I'd love to have you back would you be willing 
I love that. I love that topic. It makes me think of one particular case. So Good. wonderful. Yeah. So I want to remind everyone that this is Why Do Pets Matter with Deborah Hamilton. And don't forget to join us on the map call, uh, which talks about how to make a plan for your pet long term, short term. You have to navigate the journey they take. Um, it doesn't happen without some planning. And uh, Kathy talked about planning all the time. So if we're planning about leaving our dogs alone, we have to plan about whether or not we're leaving our dogs alone. Like, really? Well, and because of you, Deborah, I made sure that my will was in place and my pet plan was in place. You'll be proud during COVID. I got all of that figured out after. You know what? I am so proud of you. And I would love for you to put a testimonial up on the website because it is so hard for people to understand that this is something that your pets really rely on. And now that you have the two babies, definitely you need to really have something in place to make sure the pets are cared for because, you know, None of us have a crystal ball anymore. Nobody had ever lived through a pandemic because most of the 1919 people were already gone or they were very young and didn't remember. Um, yeah. So we really need to make sure that we think about this because you're putting so much love and time and effort into your pets. So I'm so glad you were here. I thank everyone for listening and please join us again for Why Do Pets Matter? The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.